Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you from these United States of America through the magic of Iowa Catholic Radio's studio, broadcasting you throughout the airwaves wherever you hear this show, through Iowa, through Oklahoma, on the internet, on the interwebs, on our app. Thank you for listening. It's wonderful to have all of you here. I am here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the director of the Zeta Institute. You can find out more at mchs.edu. Bud, out there in Pittsburgh, America, tell people what you are doing out there in the great state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm the director of the National Institute for Newman Studies in Pittsburgh, and you can find out about all of our work at newmanstudies.org. Now, Bud, to embarrass you on air, that's not all you've been doing this last week. You've not done much. As a family, you've been doing quite a bit. So you mind telling folks uh, what your family's been up to in the last few days? Oh, yeah. Late, um, uh, late on Monday night, it's all running together for me now. Uh, we had the arrival of number seven, Gemma Rose. So that was, that was exciting. But thank you, everyone, for your support and prayers. It went really smoothly. Uh, it, I, I never take it for granted to have you know, a healthy arrival and everything. So um, a shout out to my wife, Rachel, <laughs> for, um, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was quite amazing. And her parents are here right now supporting us a bit, but happy to be on the show as well. Uh, you, I was going to, I was hoping you didn't mention, you know, the extended family quite yet, because I wanted people to get the impression that your wife is like really tired with a newborn and like six other kids and here you are on a show, but no, 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 of course you have extended family. And especially since we're talking about the, the topic yeah. of family, what that means today, I, I just think it's uh, really relevant to uh, point out that you're an expert at this uh, seven times over and to congratulate the entire Mar family, but uh, from me and everyone at the radio show, tell Rachel, congratulations. We hope she gets some rest. Oh yeah. It's always you know, there, there's always little tidbits, unique things that happen uh, whenever a birth occurs. And this go around, I think the big surprise was um, the midwives during the lead up were estimating like maybe a six or seven pound baby. But Gemma ended up, ended up being at like nine pounds, 10 ounces. So uh, like someone said on, on Facebook yesterday, she looks like a two month old, but um, <laughs> that's good. She, she's robust and healthy. Well, my favorite part about this is, you know, so I don't just to air out, you know, all sorts of mar dirty laundry, you know, you had four girls and then two boys. So now the boys have a younger sister. And I'm, I'm sure that that sort of puts an entire new spin on their galaxy of understanding sibling relationships that like there's actually a girl in the family younger than them. Oh, man. Yeah. And I we're kind of keeping a close eye on Cyprian. He's a sweet little guy, our two year old. But he's truly a bulldozer, and um, <laughs> I don't think two—I don't think two-year-old boys completely recognize their strength yet. <laughs> That's right, especially in con, uh, uh, in comparison to a newborn. <laughs> well, congratulations to the Mar family. Welcome, Jim Rose, and uh, prayers to all of our uh, recent mothers, expecting mothers, uh, adopting mothers. I, there's a lot of people I know 
um, that, that are doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, Mother's Day was a while ago, but it's always a good day to point out to mothers that we appreciate all that they do and we're praying for you. As always, speaking of sort of the mother of this show, if I can make a horrible transition, uh, we're always underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences. So thank you, Mercy College of Health Sciences, for making our show possible, mchs.edu. Uh, we are rolling through the summer semester, one of the most unique semesters in the summer that we've probably seen, not only because of everything going on in society at large, but also because we had a large class, the largest summer class we ever had. Um, I think people are responding, but exactly to this moment about wanting to help people in Mercy College is exactly a place to go earn a degree where you can immediately go help uh, others to be a part of your community that brings healing to a world that needs it, mchs.edu. Yeah, I've said this on the show before, but it's nice for me to remain connected and be able to teach there. And I guess um, being a part of it all, it was impressive to see the school pivot and, uh, and, and to be there, I think, as a presence in Des Moines during a time where a lot of people were thinking about public health and the need for, for quality medical professionals. So that, that's awesome. So today on the show, speaking of Des Moines, we have uh, not only all stars on, uh, you know, the Uncommon Good. They've been on multiple times, but really, but two all stars for the entire uh, diocese of Des Moines, nay, maybe even the city of Des Moines. Uh, you know, we, we don't get to have parades, but if we did, um, these two could have their own parade float. We have Adam Story and John Wynn on the show, directors of uh, Adam, the director of Marriage and Family Life, and then uh, John, the director of Faith Journey and uh, other catechetical aspects of the diocese. So it's always wonderful to have them on. We're going to pick their brains um, on the topic that I already threw out. We're going to talk about families, um, not only you know the good of family, but family and what it means to be family has been very much in the news, not only in the news of the Marr family, but uh, nationwide as people are discussing what does a family mean? What do we mean when we talk about things like the nuclear family? Does that mean you have special powers that you can like have x-ray vision? You know, what do we mean by all of these terms and their sort of contested nature? Uh, and of course, talking about what the family means and how important that is to understanding the common good, it seemed like an obvious topic to have on. So it's wonderful to have our local friends on to talk about it. And we will be talking about that, the uncommon good, uh, with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, right after these messages. We're back at the uncommon good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you on this wonderful Wednesday. Thank you for listening. We love having you all joining us on the show. Speaking of joining us on the show, our guests today are local favorites, well-known by all good people everywhere, at least in the Diocese of Des Moines. We have Adam Story, Director of Marriage and Family Life, and we have John Wynn, Director of uh, Faith Journey and other catechetical endeavors from the Diocese of Des Moines. Adam and John, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, hey Bo, uh, you know how you introduced us earlier? Uh, yeah, can you can you tell that to Amy the next time you see her? My wife, that you're, that you're an all star everywhere. That's exactly it. Can yes, you, that I please. can do that because we're friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, it's it's great having you guys back on the show, and uh, again, I want to say thank you for joining. Um, I wanted to throw out uh, a nearly impossible, uh, you know, gauntlet since we're close friends. Um, 
family, uh, you know, that one word that uh, can raise the ire of many people, depending on what you want to say about it, uh, in the news again. Um, on one hand, we have people talking about the word nuclear family, especially seems to be coming up uh, in, in, in different, different modes, different aspects, that what people are talking about. Um, what I have in mind specifically is it was a, a hot enough topic that David Brooks and the Atlantic, um, wrote an article that said the nuclear family was a mistake. Um, you have people who are defending the nuclear family, throwing it under the bus, all these things like this. And, uh, I thought, Hey, who better to do this than to talk to someone who's uh, employed to talk about family and marriage life. Uh, but then also someone who, uh, runs catechesis and talks about what what our faith journey is like together primarily talking with families um i guess the question starts to be when we think of the word family to start off the show um adam and then john why do you think the topic of family which seems to be you know mundane by nature it seems to be something we all have something of it, it should go without saying why do you think the topic of family uh continually becomes a, such a topic of discussion and argumentation in our culture? Well, um, you know, I think, Bo, that's a good question. And I would say this is such an important topic on the one hand, because I think it speaks to kind of the very heart of who we are, that we're communal beings, that, that we're made for connection, we're made for relationship. And so even though it's, it's something that all of us kind of have a, a natural or an intuitive uh, knowledge of and even experience of, uh, it's vital because it, it kind of touches at, at uh, the taproot of, of who we are as people. Um, but I also think it's important because, you know, I think there's a particular way, especially uh, us as Americans, where we kind of... Um, can lose sight of the importance of family when we're such a uh, independent, individualistic uh, culture. And when this kind of is connected with, um, you know, the modern world where we kind of, uh, I would say we try to control things more than really be stewards of things. And we can try to even take control of, of our connectedness, our relationships, the people we associate with. Um, you know, that's a real temptation in the modern world, but I also think it's uh, uh, it can have really negative effects on, on uh, our experience of life. So I think there's a particular individualistic American temptation um, that can damage family life, but because it's at the root of who we are, I think it's really important to, to talk about it too. Yeah, I think I'm going to just basically affirm what Adam is saying there is that uh, you know, we're, we're born naturally into uh, a family. Uh, I remember as a kid when I was, there's this show, um, they've since turned it into a movie, and I don't know how popular it is in the U.S., but it's called The Monkey King. And uh, the, uh, the show began with a monkey, um, and the monkey is created uh, out of a rock, no parents at all. And I just always thought, man, that was, you know, I was eight, eight years old, um, reading about this, uh, not a show at the time, but uh, watching it later and then reading about this monkey being created out of a, uh, a rock and just thought, man, that's kind of weird because, you know, everyone <laughs> is born out of a... And then the, the monkey, of course, finds um, other monkeys and, and becomes family with it. 
But that always stuck with me was that, you know, it's that this monkey uh, was created out of kind of not two beings. Um, and then the, the, the other piece that Adam was talking about um, is there's this individualism. And I think there's a sense and inclination in all of us to, to seek to be autonomous, uh, to be free. I think, um, you know, and, and so there's this, this inclination uh, to want to be autonomous, but then um, there's this inherent sort of also inclination in our hearts to desire community. Uh, and that's, that's really the, from the Christian perspective, right? Is that we desire to be uh, with others rather than just by ourselves. And so uh, we can't escape talking about family, about communion, uh, especially because it's inherent, it's built into who we are. Um, and for us as, as Christians, as Catholics, we say that we're creating the image and likeness of God um, in the image and likeness of the Trinity, who is community. And so that that's something that we can't escape uh, desiring and from that desire talking about it. Guys, it seems like one uh, tension here, one tough point when we talk about these matters is that uh, on the one hand, uh, in Catholic theology, you sometimes get a real um, strong affirmation of the family. So I think of someone like, like John Paul II, and during his pontificate, he really wanted to re-emphasize that the family was the basic building block of society. On the other hand, uh, like in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you get some strong words that seem to cut the other direction. And I think especially Jesus saying things like, uh, you know, anyone who leaves uh, father and mother, even I think spouse, will receive like a hundredfold for the kingdom, or sometimes chastises those who, when he says, follow me, you know, there's the man that wants to go back and bury his father. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Christ says, like, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, etc. So you have those kind of two pieces of our tradition. And I, I've been thinking about this this morning. I'm curious um, with your thoughts. Like, it, when we have these conversations, do you think sometimes the misunderstanding is around equivocation? So one writer or group is, is talking about the family in this way. And we want to affirm the positive that's there, but we also recognize that as Catholics, like maybe the way that America thinks about the nuclear family isn't exactly what we have in mind or want to affirm. So I, I'm curious, like in your guys' ministries, when you talk about family, do you try to bring in some of those nuances or how do you, how do you, um, how do you use that descriptor uh, in, in your conversations with other Catholics? But I think that's a, a really good question and insight uh, that you're pointing to. And, um, you know, I think when we there is that tension, but I think what we see is, um, you know, family is it's it's really about a communion of persons. It's about the, this interconnectedness and this, uh, uh, you know, these deep relationships in Christ uh, and uh, in the church and, uh, you know, in his salvific plan, he's calling us uh, into a new communion, into a different communion uh, that I don't think, uh, I don't think his intention is to negate the first communion, but it's it's to draw us to a new level. Um, one of the things I think about is, is um, sometimes we have this idea that, you know, the Christian communion or the Christian relationships that we're drawn into the difference between the two families is the first family is given. Uh, you know, my parents are given, my siblings are given, 
uh, that that's just received. But the new communion is chosen. You know, I get to choose who I associate with. I get to choose who I'm in relationship with. Uh, and, and I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that the Christian vision of family, the Christian vision of, of the body of Christ, of the new communion, uh, is just as much given uh, and something to be received and not to, you know, try to control or to, to you know, try to cut out the parts that we don't like. Um, it's a new level of communion, but both are, are given and to be received. Uh, and to be entered into rather than uh, to try to control or to try to choose. Yeah, I think I think there's um, there's a multifaceted use of that word family, right? Um, it's it's almost like the word love. And, uh, you know, you, you see some guy you work out with, he's like, what's up, fam? Um, you know, that's <laughs> kind of a a lower uh, tier of community communion there uh, in terms of family, if you will. Um, and then there's there's you know, there's the, the immediate family and there's a, there's the family that we belong to. That's, uh, the church. Um, so you're right in, in the sense that, uh, you know, I, as Adam is pointing out there, there's a, there's a different, there are different levels of communion. Um, but, but I think overall, I think when we say, when we say family, um, David Brooks actually points this out, right? Some of us actually means kinship. Um, and families can be, uh, there's this natural family unit that you're born into and, and you're tied to, but, uh, there are families that you, that could be created simply out of, um, intentionality. Uh, so for instance, you know, the, in, in historically speaking, the Asians, the Vietnamese and, and the, the Chinese, I know this, you can become brothers, uh, simply by, uh, dropping, cutting, a little bit of your your finger having a drop of blood into a glass of uh, of wine um both of you do that you drink that and you you are now essentially kind of like blood family um and your 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 kinship is even tighter than um a quote-unquote friendship that you used to have right so uh so yeah so there are different kind of levels of of uh familial union if you will um and one could one is very much intentional. The other is, is non-intentional. But I think especially when we talk about um, in, in a theological perspective, uh, our, um, our family, um, the, the deepest sort of uh, the deepest communion that we can have is with God. And so it's primary yeah, Dewey, I think that, uh, excuse me, John, uh, the, the, the bringing that up is a really important um, aspect about Dan, what, what David Brooks is bringing up and the sort of worldwide different connotations of family. So when we think of the nuclear family, and really, I think this was sort of a, a, a subset of the sort of atomic age. And because when this is all figured out and really identified, this idea that there is a sort of basic building block that is a family and is essentially so. So you have a mom and a dad and whatever children they have. And the idea is like that, that atomically, right, is like the nucleus with its protons and neutrons and electrons, right? That's the idea. Um, and then everything else is sort of added onto that. But in the same way that it, it talks about the atomistic age is that, okay, these families now can sort of bounce around anywhere and stay family. And this was in contradistinction uh, to what came immediately before this. So as David Brooks points out, and I think he has a point, 
the sort of heyday of the nuclear family is the most built, like the na- most natural building block in the United States was basically 1950 to 1965, this sort of short right. post-war sort of idea. Before that, you have extended families that are almost entirely agricultural in mind, and they really do, there's different ways this happens. But for hundreds of years and most of the world that was agricultural in any sort of sustained way, you really do have um, what, what we would, I think, call extended families that would have not only um, multiple what we would call nuclear families. So we would have like grandparents and then we would have different moms and dads with children and then we'd have aunts and uncles. And because you had a lot of aunts and uncles, because everybody had more kids, not all of them got married. A lot of them stayed around the farm. You had uh, people, of course, died earlier, right? So you had kids who then like had parents who were remarried. You start to see about how immediately you can understand family in the strongest terms as sort of a group of 25 to 30 people. And David Brooks's point is that for most of human life, uh, in agricultural societies specifically, but then you even go back and look at sort of like the tribal beginnings of humanity, and there's, there's certainly things like this as well, that the sort of idea of like two parents and 2.5 kids, as the joke always goes, um, only has a very short blip in human history. And it's only since then that we see that nuclear family falling apart that we start to talk about this ideal of the nuclear family. And I think David Brooks's main point is the reason that we see families disintegrating now, the individualism that Adam and John talked about, is because the nuclear family already was sort of a, a step at disentangling ourselves from the deep ties that would make being in a place and things like this. He points out that the rise of nuclear families maps the rise of people moving into towns and working into factories. And But he also says that the sort of ability to have a nuclear family as an ideal only worked for a while because people did their best imitation of extended families. Right. But mostly it was like with neighborhoods and front porches and things like this. And so when people start to talk about the nuclear family or criticisms of it, that's where I think it's important to, to be honest, like you said, about human history and even cultural differences, that what we mean by family, even though the most basic building block of it is certainly a mom and a dad and the children they have, that for a lot of human history, if you said the word family or whatever equivalent that was in whatever language, that people would immediately conjure to mind about 20 to 30 people and not say three to five. And that that really is a, a sort of difference maker in all these discussions that we have. That's right. And, you know, it's normally, so in our culture, at least, when you talk about family, you name the patriarch of the family, the the head of the family. And so as soon as you say the family of this person, you immediately think of, everyone else that comes with that person right so the the wife the kids the great the grandkids and all of that stuff so so that's exactly it but one of the one of the things that's very curious to me as you talk about the nuclear family that's that's sort of you know uh from the the 50s and the 60s and there's an imitation of um or rather trying to be like the the families that are in the 17 1800s and so on and so forth one of the things that really um, intrigues me is what I would call familial sort of solitude that's that's progressed from it. Um, is 
this idea that uh, I, I think, you know, as we, as the nuclear family um, progresses to simply be somewhat essentially autonomous from others, um, there seems to be kind of a solitude that comes with that, that, you know, it's no long, it's not just like a, a singular solitude, but, you know, the, the family is kind of set off apart from everything else. And if, if something fails in that family, it just simply fails uh, rather than being able to be in some sense, um, uh, you know, put together again by extended family. You know, I might, I think, Bo, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important is uh, the movement to the nuclear family being this uh, disentanglement that you mentioned, this, uh, you know, uh, breaking apart of this web of connections. And I, a lot of the people who will, you know, be advocates for the family, who will speak to the family uh, today, uh, they, they speak to the family, but they also, uh, I think, still desire a disentangled way of living, an independent way of living. And, and I think it's important to see that these, these things go together, that we ought to be connected to each other. We ought to be dependent on each other. And, you know, I think as someone who, you know, lives an upper middle class existence, I think of how much money we spend and how much we, we invest in not having to be vulnerable with other people. You know, we're, we're happy to help other people if they need help. Uh, but God forbid, if if I need somebody to help me paint my garage, I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. Or if I need somebody, you know, if my lawnmower breaks, am I going to borrow my neighbors or am I going to go out and get a new lawnmower? And uh, that connectedness, I think, is really important because it's really human. Uh, and and as we, you know, advocate for the family, I think we equally need to advocate for connectedness uh, and even vulnerability. And I so think Adam, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, John. Yeah, we got a minute but, left. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's what David Brooks was getting at, right? Is that the, the more affluent you are, the more able you're in some sense uh, to to carry out this nuclear family without attachment, um, the, with disentanglement. You can pay for things that normally traditionally would have been uh, done by extended family, babysitting, for instance. Um, you know, that's... You're, you're able to, to pay for all sorts of stuff so that uh, you can carry on your life um, as before. No, and I, I think, uh, well, look, it's, it's we're up on the break. So when we get back, a lot to talk about, a lot of great stuff that we set up for the next part of the show. This is The Uncommon Good. Bob Honor, Dr. Bud Marr, we'll be back right after these uh, messages. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the show. Our guests are Iowa Catholic Radio and Des Moines Diocese All-Stars, Adam Story and John Wynn. Adam and John, thank you for joining the show. Thanks, yeah, for, thanks having for having us. All right, so guys, Bud, as we've pointed out earlier, uh, just had, uh, he didn't himself, but his family had kid number seven, which makes him the dominant alpha male on this call. So I figured that <laughs> out of the second segment, we should make sure to let him ask the first question. We all know that's not true, but I'll take it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to splice that audio and play it for myself when I wake up in the morning just to get pumped up for the day. Um, 
No, I, Adam, I loved your point about uh, like embracing vulnerability and radical hospitality. And I think it ties back to some of what I was thinking about with Christ and the Gospels. And, you know, Jesus is upfront that his message is going to divide some people from each other. And in some cases, even brother against brother and sister against sister. Obviously, I think we'd be misinterpreting that passage if we thought our Lord meant like just be a jerk at Thanksgiving <laughs> or like, you know, ignore your, the rest of your family so that you can purchase another jet ski. Uh, and so I, I'm really intrigued by this idea of like, so when we talk about the nuclear family, I do think there's a way in our culture that it's become another form of almost a level of individualism where it's like an isolated group that's primarily focused on its own interests. And uh, to, to borrow um, an idea from Scott Hahn, you know, like coming into the Catholic faith, one thing that I was struck by is that God has provided through the Catholic church family relationships at every level. So we call the Pope father, you know, we call monks brothers and, um, and nuns sisters and, and sort of on down the line. And I guess I, I've been struck by uh, sort of like the creativity of the Catholic faith to, 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 so to speak, like fill in the gaps. And what I have in mind is that I think the experience of family over the last 40 or 50 years in our country has not been a positive thing for a lot of people. And in some cases, they found themselves more isolated than people would have been 100 years ago. And when I think about Catholics giving sort of like a, a different, like a countercultural message regarding the family, like we have to, we have to be sure to preach not only what we believe about, you know, fidelity in marriage and, and birth control, et cetera, but also to remind folks that like the, the priority, like the highest end, kind of like Dewey intimated at the beginning of the show, is that our most important commitments are this new family that we've been called into. And I guess I'd be interested in hearing from you guys, like ways that you think about the Catholic Church sort of filling in those gaps or being being creative. And I guess I'll kick it off for myself. Like one of the biggest thing is religious orders and the sort of like creativity and flexibility that they have. Thinking historically, when when individuals or citizens were economically vulnerable or on the margins of society, a lot of times they could look to the works of monastery, monasteries and convents as ways to find material provision, to plug themselves in the community, et cetera. And I, I worry that we've kind of even lost that, you know, like monks and nuns are just not as visible in our context as they were in previous eras, but uh, other, other ideas that you guys might have. Or, um, Oh, go ahead, Dewey. John. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, for me, I think uh, the, the sacraments of initiation are, um, are great um, ways that, that show, um, you know, so this familiar, uh, familial uh, kinship. I, I mean, we've lost some of that. And I, it's my favorite harping point is, is uh, you know, especially when it comes to baptism. I you know, baptism is a public affair. Um, it's a welcoming of someone into the church. And I, I spoke about this yesterday. Um, but I'd like to see that, you know, as back as part of a, a, a public um, celebration rather than a private celebration. And so uh, my favorite things at uh, St. Peter's when, it, you know, on a Sunday, first Sunday of the month, is to see a, a new child or, uh, um, you know, a new little kid uh, come into the parish, being baptized into the parish, being baptized into the, the family 
uh, the Catholic family, um, you know, it might make the mass go a little longer. But uh, that's that's what we we uh, we find important in our in our faith. And so, uh, baptism, the the sacraments of initiation, are great ways that our church has has come to sort of uh, fill these gaps, as you will. So, Bud, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking of, um, you know, I think when it's when it's healthy, there's an opportunity for a parish community uh, to provide that kind of broader interconnectedness. And, uh, you know, this, I think, was a lot more obvious or present when many of our parishes were ethnic parishes. Uh, I also think uh, that a healthy expression, something I'm a fan of, is parish boundaries. Uh, because I think that, you know, authentic community is given more than it's chosen. And so uh, you have to be a part of the community that, that you've been given. And I'm not trying to, you know, make a big argument because I think there's lots of camp complexities within, uh, within this context. But I do think that, uh, you know, with a, in, a, in a healthy parish life, uh, you ought to be able to recognize that the people that are in the pews with you are people uh, that you can rely on, people that you can reach out to, uh, and people that are going to uh, be with you even when you face really difficult uh, situations and difficult circumstances. Um, I think that that's a, that's a way that, that that broader family context can be lived out uh, in our Catholic culture today. Well, so would you guys say that like what we're aiming to do is disrupt a sort of Western prescribed idea of the nuclear family structure as a requirement? So what we're going to do is support each other as extended families and villages and collectively care for one another. Do you think that's a good way of putting what we're after? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I the, think, ideally. I think uh, uh, expand, expand the web of connectedness that, um, I do think, you know, if it's if it's exclusively a focus on the nuclear family, we can enter into a sort of individualism in the, you know, just a broader individualism uh, than any particular person. So uh, broader connectedness, broader kind of communal reliance, uh, I think, is what we ought to advocate for. Now, guys, the reason I put it that way is because I am a turkey that has <laughs> walked you into a trap. That definition is from uh, the very the, the the Black Lives Matters group's website. It's the description of what they think family should be like. Now, I want to point out something. The rest of the sort of like points that surround this, there's plenty of things that disagree with Catholic teaching. So I'm not trying to like make any sort of point about that aspect at all. What I want to point out is that a description that had been thrown out as being deliriatus of the Catholic understanding of family, I think has not really been properly engaged with. Mm -hmm. Now, there's also, like I said, there's all sorts of problems with maybe like specifics and like theories that they bring up and aspects that they go to. But what I want to point out is, folks, we've been talking about what we mean by an extended, expanded, version of the family. And just like all three of these guys, Bud, John, and Adam just said, is that we need to have, we already have in the church, an expanded idea beyond the sort of consumption unit of mom, dad, and kids buying stuff in a house, which is where 
the idea of the nuclear family really comes to. And so when you guys hear in the world of media, when you're talking with people, and this goes back to what we mean about it being a contested subject that people don't necessarily think through. When people throw out, are things pro or against family? It's imperative of Catholics to ask what we mean, because of course, all good things can be rendered in an idolatrous way. And one of the chief idolatrous ways is to make even something the family, which Adam and John have both pointed out, the goal is to bring you outside of yourself, to imitate the Trinity in the communal nature of the Trinity. But we can even make that intimate community, our first families, into something like selfishness. And I think you guys have done a beautiful job pointing out that family is always expanding, right? It's like the love of God, it's diffusive. And so that we always need to make sure to extend and grow that interconnectedness of families. Now, I know you might not ever come onto the show again, or you might not ever answer yes or no if you agree something without asking me where I'm quoting it from. Uh, but beyond, beyond being angry at me, do you think that, like, guys, that that's part of the problem is we assume uh, that, like, family is like a box, check yes or no, instead of really drilling down and asking, what do we mean when we say support the Catholic understanding of the family? Yeah, you know, I... I still feel comfortable with that affirmation. And, and I think, I mean, there's, there's the family question, but there's also the broader comment that uh, I think so much of our, of our, and this is family related too, since we, since we're not as interconnected as, as we used to be uh, so much of our conversations have just become power struggles. And, and the idea that uh, I can't give any ground or I can't concede any point because because if I do, that weakens my position. Uh, and that's how adversaries communicate with each other, but it's not how family communicates with each other. Uh, you know, when a family is having a conversation, people can disagree heatedly uh, and still learn from each other and still grow. And uh, yeah, so I think, the, I think the affirmation still stands. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, the, even even the fact that if anything is mentioned by Black Lives Matter matters that it becomes toxic, uh, I think that in itself is a toxic environment too. Right, uh, same way here. Uh, you know, w when we talk uh, about uh, family and and we think, okay, well, family is just this this nuclear unit, um, and not treat it as if um, it's an. Ex it, it, it's a kind of a communal thing. Uh, what ends up happening is when you have a, a family, um, a nuclear family uh, that uh, is, you know, impoverished and then um, the, the father leaves, let's say. And I think this is this is the contention point. Right. Because when people say um, we want to preserve the family, what, what they're trying to say is, you know, we want a father and mother. Sure. Um, we don't disagree with that. Or I, I don't disagree with that. What I, I do see, though, is when you simply focus on the nuclear family as, again, as you say, a cons consumption unit, what happens is um, there's this this solitude of the family. And so when when the relationship breaks, when the father leaves, what ends up happening is, um, you know, you're, you're left with a broken unit that there's no support. And so uh, so you, you're you're dealing with children uh, raised in homes um, and they'll, they'll suffer for it. The, the, you know, the, the family suffers for it because there isn't any sort of, um, support. And, and so, 
when when we focus so much and, and as as we're, we're talking about here you know this this notion of the nuclear family taking off and in in a very real sense um being the universal uh, image of family what happens is when it breaks there is uh no support to fix it and it doesn't have to be like divorce either like people die i, I think yeah that's yeah or that, like yeah, yeah right right and and i and exactly. so anyway i think your point's exactly you know that um it's not only people that have like a lot of money between two people two adults it's also like you said people who go through life acting like no bad thing will ever happen to this unit until like they're good and ready to die when they're 80 and stuff like that. I mean, that's nice when that happens, but throughout most human history, uh, especially if you're working in agriculture or mining or things like this, I mean, fathers died all the time and I, there's just countless stories of people being mm -hmm. raised by uncles and things like this. I mean, I was yeah. sharing with you like the, the, the film, like ordinary people, it's, it's an old film, right? But you know, uh, they, they're kind of well off. They're they're a uh, what you would call a nuclear family. Um, you know, uh, two parents, two kids, and uh, one kid happens to to have drowned um, due to an act to a swimming accident. Uh, the mother blames the other son for not helping or whatever, and so the family falls apart um, with without any help. I mean, there's there's just nothing, and so you look at this family and you go, okay. This, this is the family that has it all. And from the outside, sort of everyone else thinks this family has it all. Uh, but then suddenly you realize they don't. <laughs> and when, when disaster happens, um, not, there's no one else to rely on, nothing to fix it, to help yeah. mend it. Yeah, and I think uh, as we think about these matters for myself and, and thinking about my own spiritual journey, like we have to remember as well that the formation starts really early because it, it feels sometimes like, in the church, we're, we're occasionally trying to do triage, like after things have gone wrong. But I, this is more of a comment, and maybe you guys can jump in with your analysis of how far off I am. But, uh, you know, like in our, in our culture, I, I feel like we've settled into a very romantic understanding of marriage in the sense like that relationship is supposed to provide you with ultimate happiness. And we communicate this at relatively young ages through, through film and music and things like that. And, uh, Maybe Adam, you could share like in terms of like preparing couples to marry. I don't know. Um, I I don't want to. I don't want to sound like too bitter about my past or anything. But like, <laughs> like as as a youth, as a young person, I don't know if I if I got a lot of like formation and direction about what marriage, family, and family entailed beyond it will provide you with personal happiness, right? And so, what are those other pieces that we need to be communicating? with our young people, our young adults, as they're moving towards, um, towards that relationship. Well, but I think, I think that's a excellent and important point and absolutely in marriage preparation. Uh, you know, we do try to address that, but kind of, as you said, in a sort of a triage triage way, because, um, you know, there is kind of this formation that's provided that, uh, you know, marriage is going to be, blissful and 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 no conflict and no adversity uh and it's you know it's going to follow the plot of a romantic comedy um and there's even at times a temptation within the church i think to try to sort of uh, uh out romantic comedy the romantic comedies that will say well all that's true but if you're faithful it'll even be more true um and that's just not reality so i think 
you know, the most important formation that we have is the stories that we tell. Um, and, you know, when you talk about extended family, I think it's particularly important because, you know, sometimes those stories are verbalized, but most often they're just witnessed that you see the way, uh, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents, you see the way they live out their family life and you see examples of success and you see examples of failure, uh, but you're still all knit together. Um, and that's, that's the most, that's the most important kind of formation that we receive uh, is the stories that we tell around the table. And it's the stories that we witness uh, just in living a common life. Adam, you know, that that's, it brings up like something that would, that problematizes everything that I've said. Like, so with my family on my mom's side, like, so the, the closest to like what I, I know of personally of an extended family like this would be my mom's uh, brothers and sisters and sort of like her family. So the primal story in all of that though, of the Gibsons is that I had multiple, like, so my, my granddad and his brothers, multiple of them ran away from home to go join the military because it was easier than living Pentecostal life of uh, farmers. So much so that my great grandma despised high schools because they took kids away during harvest, right? Like she didn't want her younger kids to go to high school because she thought it was disrupting their way of life. And I had m multiple, so people my granddad's age who were like, we're gonna go do something easy and go fight in wars compared to living with grandma and living on the farm. And what's, what's interesting, right, is like, like beyond like a lot of other family dynamics that it's too late to bring up, um, for a generation, like my mom's brothers and sisters are extremely close. Uh, and so they, it seemed like they were trying to do what like David Brooks was saying, where they have they, they took the good of the extended family, but then the good of not being like, let's not send kids to high school so that they farm wheat their entire lives. Right. There's there's a balance to be had there. But it really only lasted a generation. My generation, like I love my cousins. And when we were growing up, we were really close. I see all of them far less now. And I know that my kids have even less of a sort of connection there. I think what I'm trying to throw out, because, of course, it's here at the end, and it sounds like I'm throwing our entire discussion under the bus. But what I'm trying to say is that, and I, th I got this from both of you guys, family is something that has to be continually worked at. And it's, uh, if it's a virtue, that means that there's two extremes. There's the extreme of acting like it's just blood and soil and sort of all the things we get worried about when we hear things like Nazis or we hear things like, you know, great-grandmothers who don't want kids to go to school. But on the other hand, to act like the only thing that matters is sort of like consumption and choices and chosen family and doing what you want. It seems like what the Gospels, like Bud pointed out with like there being a pro and uh, con tension between families is that only in Christ we're going to be able to hold together um, those two extremes. We've unfortunately come to the end of the show. Uh, and so I want to first of all say, Adam and John, thank you guys for coming on the show and letting me, uh, you know, trick you with quotations and stuff. That's the sort of friendship we have. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks, Bo. Thanks, Bud. Yeah, thanks for having us. And also want to say, Bud, thank you for uh, being a sterling example of uh, family, not only because you just had another uh, kid, but I think a lot of us feel that we belong in the extended universe of the Mars. So thank you for that, Bud. Oh, no doubt. It's great having those guys on. Uh, this is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, extended and otherwise. 
uh, in our cities, our states, our nations, the entire world, solar system, galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.